You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 45 of Cards and Cubes. We're your hosts. I'm Trevor. I'm Christo. And today we're going to talk a little bit about digital implementations of games. First, we're going to kick off with some games we've been playing lately, since that's a thing we do. And uh, then we'll wrap up the show with games that are on our horizon. But first, the most exciting news in board game history. Christo, there's going to be a second edition of Tyrants of the Underdark. Yep. Uh, yeah, you guys posted about it, and I was kind of excited about it. So yeah, sounds good to me, except there's, I think, a downside to it. And I don't know if you're going to mention it right now. The downside, according to Risto. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Is that so? Well, first, the upside is that the base game plus the expansion, which apparently had miscolored um, card backs, uh, they're both going to be included in the same box. So unless Gale Force 9 is just super trolly, uh, they're going to, those cards should match and, and the cards should look as beautiful as ever, which you should be happy about, right? Yeah, I was actually kind of waiting for that to happen uh, with maybe a reprint of the original edition, which unfortunately never happened. Yeah, so the disappointing element that Haristo mentioned is that so the original game came with plastic minis, um, a variety of them for different purposes. I think there was like a shield thing to represent warriors or something, and then there was an assassin, fi- couple of assassin figures, and everybody uh, in each player color. Um, and so the visual appeal of the game maybe was kind of cool as you went. It's a deck building. Uh, area control game for those who might not know and then your pieces on the board would stand up and then it it just gives the the visual effect that any game with minis has and now those components apparently have been replaced with cardboard tokens yep yeah the game had a really cool look with the uh so-called miniatures like speaking of miniatures they're quite miniature sized they're about the size of like euro style cubes they're just tiny uh they're just these tiny shields for the factions just colored colored shields in the four player colors and the dummy color of the game uh so they've been replaced with circular cardboard tokens the plus side of that is i guess the game and the expansion together are like 40 dollars which is ridiculously cheap the old game came in this huge box and i think it was like 60 or 70 even without the expansion which was another 20 or something so like way way cheaper uh, but I am almost like hoping and already I see people asking about an upgrade kit to just basically have those tiny shields. I think they add a lot to the game and they'd be very popular if they decided to do a print run of them or something. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, it will be a little bit disappointing. I'm not going to lie if, I, if you can't get the little shields because I think they're pretty cool. Well, if you go into uh, any 
game store that has minis. You can buy Dungeon & Dragon miniatures, so you can create your own armies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the problem is you need like 60 of them or something, or I don't know if it's 60, but a huge amount, because that's also the game timer, and there's a lot of them, and they need to be tiny to fit on the board. So they, they're really kind of weird components. Like I say, I think a, like the clear replacement is actually cubes for the circular tokens i think cubes would be a really cheap replacement but cubes would not look as cool i think but i think maybe like cubes are a slightly better idea than circular tokens but we'll see anyway yeah yeah i think the minis had a practical element too where it was really easy to to distinguish between uh the types of units and then the colors are really striking difference so I don't know if, if they can accomplish the same visual cue as that. I think it'll work just as fine, but it might just have a different aesthetic appeal. I, I wonder if they did this just to sell the game at a pri- lower price point. Yeah, I think they wanted the game to the game to be more popular, and it probably will be because it's going to be cheaper. And I don't know, deck building games seem to be popular lately, so maybe it will be more popular than it used to be previously yeah and then for hardcore fans maybe they'll have a add-on option later yeah maybe we'll see because like dune imperium has a weird plastic soldier so maybe they'll follow suit i don't know we'll see yeah it could be anyway that's just a little bit of board game news new edition of turns of the underdark let's head on into games played Alright, so the first game I'm going to bring in today is called Tyrants of the Underdark. (laughs) No, Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Anachrony because we've played it a couple of times lately, actually. This is um, a game published by Mind Clash Games, designers David Tertzi. Um, I think it's also Victor Peter and Richard Arman. Um, anyway, so this is at its core. It's a worker placement game set in some futuristic uh, timeline where the world is ending and your goal is to make your path, which is your faction, as powerful as possible by manipulating time and building super projects and and gaining resources to do this and that it's a it's a euro game with colorful cubes worker placement um it's interesting this game is a long game but it's it's i think really fun to play and has a really immersive experience um i don't know that i've ever played a game under two two and a half hours no (laughs) regardless of the player count uh but i have fun with it every time i don't I don't know that uh, the time travel mechanic it has in this game is super innovative. It's really kind of just a lone mechanic, but uh, I think it's fun to play. And we've played it a couple times recently, which gives me hope that we might get some expansions to the table sometime because there are a lot of expansions for this game, both in the works and released. What do you think of the game, Risto? Uh-huh. 
Well, actually, it's kind of interesting. Um, I had a lot of excitement kind of going into the game. But unfortunately, actually, for me, uh, my excitement has gone kind of down as we've played the game uh, more and more. Like, uh, I played it for the third time, I think, yesterday. Uh, to be honest, I don't know. Um, yeah, like I say, I, I think, like, uh, the more I play, the more I kind of see flaws in it. And it's kind of uh, bothering me with just kind of really weird, question, uh, questionable design decisions. I think the lore is really cool, and I really want to like the game because it's uh, the production is, like, really good. And it just looks very promising overall. Uh, but actually, I was just thinking, like... It's kind of maybe not living up to my expectations in some ways, but I don't know. Well, what yeah. are the flaws you, you see in the game? Uh, I actually looked at a lot of the expansions, if not all of them. I spent like a couple of hours just kind of reading the forums and impressions of people and faction balance and just kind of like questions about decisions in the game and what the expansions might add. Uh, there's a lot of kind of so it's like a resource optimization game feels like very euro uh, in some way uh, but the interesting thing is I saw some post by David himself and he said it doesn't feel like a euro optimization game and I think the reason it doesn't and the reason I don't uh, the reason I it's not what I thought it was kind of it doesn't feel like I thought it was is uh, kind of dice rolls um, to be honest <laughs> And also, more, maybe even more than the dice rolls, uh, there's these buildings th that are available in the game, and the whole game is basically engine building. Um, people say, like, there was a, an argument on the forums that it's not an engine building game, and people are like, it's an engine building game, it's not an engine building game. I think it pretty much is an engine building game. And um, the other thing is, in the base game, the, there's a clear hierarchy where I think uh, one of the actions, which is build buildings, is more preferable than the other two, uh, kind of clearly. And people are saying, like, science is bad, uh, which is one of the actions you can do on the board. So the David himself was saying, like, yeah, in the base game, it's kind of like that. But in the expansion, science gets better. So basically, it's almost kind of like play with the expansions. But I looked at the expansions, and uh, they look, again, really, really cool and promising. But again, they have like dice rolls in them, um, yeah. which is just really, really strange decision. One of them is uh, you can go out on these missions and you basically roll for success. You're trying to reach a number. Uh, I mean, you can obviously add to it and change it and modify it and whatever, but ultimately it's another dice roll. There's an expansion where you can, it changes the worker placement aspect of the game where usually you go on the board and you can't leave like you're just kind of there in the round ends and you block the space forever there's an expansion where you can actually switch spaces and spaces become available as you play again tied to a dice roll uh, at the end of the uh, round you check whether you cause yourself a malfunction which is also random so it could be anywhere really in your tableau so all of these things are just kind of like really strange choices um one of the actions is also a dice roll and actually there's an updated board where uh, i don't know if you saw that only the top space yeah. only the top space sets the die the bottom two don't you roll both dice so basically i think it's kind of like maybe designed as some kind of a optimization game but don't take it too seriously which coupled with the game length and just the ridiculous amount of components and expansions is not a terribly good combination uh, so just to just to clarify opinion. Risto had 
a issue with the building market because there's four different types of buildings, but there's only ever two buildings showing of each type. So the first um, round, it could be one. Actually, I was thinking about that as well. It's just kind of weird. Well, it could be one if yeah, if somebody buys the smaller stack. Um, but then you know the the building is uh, available. All the buildings are face up, so if you buy a building, then the one below it is immediately revealed. But yeah, you don't you don't necessarily have the option to choose everything from the start. And I don't know that every game needs to do that, but two per building may feel kind of limiting in this game because each building does a particular type of thing in general. So if you're trying to build a time travel engine or a resource conversion engine, um, I think that the game kind of wants you to not try to pigeonhole and do everything, like spam the same thing at from the start, but maybe try to spread it out and be opportunistic and build it out differently, but sometimes it doesn't work. Um, and with respect to the dice rolling, there's these science tokens, breakthrough tokens that you collect to either get set collection points or use them to build larger super project buildings and getting there's, so the tokens are a combination of shapes and pictures on those shapes. And the way you get them is you roll a die for either the shape or the, whatever's on the shape and then you get to choose the other one so you could choose i'm gonna roll a circle i'm gonna get a circle and then i'll just roll it and see what i get for the other one um yeah i i think that in in the scope of the theme of the game dice rolling makes more thematic sense than game sense if if that makes any sense <laughs> um because the the elements that are your that are tied to dice rolling if you think about it thematically are things that you wouldn't have control over necessarily if it were a real life scenario so maybe that's why he chose to do dice rolling but yeah it does feel kind of interesting and different to have a dice rolling mechanic in a game that's worker placement and engine building um i agree it's kind of weird the other thing that's kind of bothering me is basically super projects. Um, they reveal actually, I think also maybe a rules adjustment for the one of the expansions or something. I'm not sure if this rulebook that we had was more updated than the other one, but I think uh, it's either changed or used to be that only the super project above the current era is visible and it's revealed at the beginning of the round. So basically a lot of these things kind of limit planning, uh, which... It's just kind of annoying to me. Like I don't, I don't know why he chose to do it that way. Maybe to just kind of again not make it a super thinky game. But the problem is it it is a super thinky game. Um, sometimes the action is obvious, but there's these really weird incentives around like first player and doing actions and like what the best thing to do in certain situations is. So it's, it, it is actually a really, really thinky game, uh, but it has like dice and not n enough planning in it, which is just kind of weird. So what would know, you think of the it, dynamic that would create if every super project were face up then? Because that would uh, allow you to plan your whole game, but then yeah. that would create an interesting thing of, well, I'm going to steal first player right before that round, and then I'm going to build it uh, when, when it goes into that round. 
Yeah, I mean, that's fine, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what the solution really really is. I just... It's just kind of maybe not the game I expected uh, to it to be. And, yeah. Anyway, that's that's really it. Maybe I just didn't... It's not the game I expected it to be, ultimately. I, I'm not really interested in, like, solving the problems of the game or people are talking about, like, house rules. And uh, he even said, like, oh, if you want to have three buildings visible instead of one, that's fine. Um, because some people are like wow that improved the game a lot more it's a lot more tense whatever but I'm not really a fan of those things um, I think it's just designed to be as it is and that's that's fine uh, I don't so what you need is a revised rule book that adds a, <laughs> that adds an official variant that you can play <laughs> yeah actually I'm kind of a fan of that if it's not an official variant even if on the forums he says oh yeah that's fine or something I think that's kind of whatever uh, and actually I was just thinking like uh, people uh, the game is very well liked so I'm more of an exception I think uh, like it has super high scores and people apparently like it a lot. I don't know if I've heard of too many people not liking it. Uh, but uh, gosh, what? A, oh yeah, I was gonna say that. Uh, I was just thinking like it's not that unique. Maybe the time travel aspect of it is unique, but the the time travel aspect is also tied to like dice rolls or again like weird incentives. Um. I'd rather play Manhattan Project of that style of game, which I think is a very, very kind of similar game, but not necessarily better, just more of what I was imagining this game would be in general. So I don't know. That's just me, though. Yeah, it's got some interesting decisions in it that um, and like you said, I don't think that the game is necessarily innovative in or like the only one of its kind in any of the aspects of the game i think um but i think the system just works well it does have some weird things that are not your typical like resource resource uh management and action efficiency things with dice rolling but i have fun every time i play the game and that it feels um pretty immersive when you're actually playing it um so that's uh, that's anachrony so, uh, two weekends ago, we had kind of a long, we were joking, re- referred to as, as, as TrevCon, uh, Trevor Convention, like TrevCon. TrevCon <laughs> uh, 2021. Con- convention in Trevor's house, kind of longer weekend playing some air control games. And uh, we played The Expanse. Uh, the Expanse is an air control game, <laughs> which I just said. But uh, it's Wait, what kind type of is it? <laughs> uh, it's kind of a reimplementation of Twilight Struggle, but for four players. Um, kind of a simplified Twilight Struggle as well, uh, which is a little bit funny because it's still very kind of slow moving in some ways. Um, I think Twilight Struggle is supposed to be like four or five hours or something like that. I don't know. Just kind of a longer, longer game because of not necessarily just the mechanics, but kind of thinking about the game and the decisions that you're making. Uh, So yeah, it kind of, um, I think the idea was to make Twilight Struggle with four players in the theme of The Expanse, which is a TV show. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Kind of hard sci-fi. Uh, TV show, um, which supposedly is more interested in a little bit more realism to a degree, I guess, realism, because, like, anyway, 
but yeah, the board game is um, we played it at four players. Uh, there's actually specific factions that you play if you play two players, three players, or four players. So it's this system where um, there's kind of uh, two aggressive factions, I'd say, and two factions that are kind of weirder even though they should also be kind of aggressive because the game's kind of the same. You just get influence on planets and score for them over the course of the game. Uh, kind of, a, like I say, a slow-moving, methodical area control game. I don't know how to describe it, really. Um, yeah, what did you think about it, Trevor? Well, I put my thoughts thoughts about it together. I know Trevor wasn't a fan in the beginning and maybe at the end as well, but... So I I started off um, in the expanse kind of with a feeling of I can't do anything um, because I didn't appreciate um, number one I think all the factions are asymmetric to a degree or maybe not they're maybe they're not factions I haven't seen the show so I'm not sure of all the yeah they're kind of factions ties. or whatever like one of them is the Earth faction or whatever one is the Martians and then there's the OPA which is kind of these like belters and uh, there's this rich guy. <laughs> Yeah, I think I played the rich guy. Yeah, you played the rich guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it was it was weird at first because I was I I kind of wanted you know had made a plan for things I wanted to do in the game and and was going to try to figure out a way to do that and um, so the the first thing that I had to just come to grips with that changed me from maybe not liking the game so much to actually enjoying it towards the end was um, the way that actions work is uh, is pretty cool, I think. It, what it is is that there's a, a kind of a card market of, what is it, four or five or six cards, and each card costs a certain number of uh, action points to take from zero to, I think, three. Or what I, I can't remember four, what you have to actually, spend. Four, I specifically remember because I focused on action points a lot on that game. Four is the maximum. Yeah. Two what do you have minimum, to spend to the get maximum. the cards again? Uh, victory points, actually. You can pay oh, victory right. points to go higher and choose a newer card. It's a river. Yeah. Of... yeah, so you're basically paying points from zero to maybe three points to select the card that you want. And each card can either be used for action points, that was just shown in a number at the top of the card, from two to four. And as Risto said, four is good because that gets you a lot of actions. Or you can choose it for the bottom half of the card, which is an event. And the events usually, not always, but it seems like more often than not, are some sort of take that mechanic where you're able to target either players or areas of the map. And the mistake I made was focusing too much on trying to not get wrecked by events, which then just happened anyway, because you have very, very little control over the events between your turn. And, and so, so yeah, towards, towards the beginning of the game, I think I focused too much on the events portion of the card. Um, which resulted in me not taking action point turns, which I think had negative effects that rippled through the rest of the game. Um, but I, I think the, the system's actually pretty cool for the game. I, I like the way action selection works. 
I like that there are asymmetric factions. Um, maybe not to the extent as some other games of area control type, maybe comparing to Root. Um, but I, I think that the I think that the system is cool. I liked how um, I liked how scoring worked, where uh, basically a scoring card will come out in that action selection card river. And then whoever buys it gets to choose which area of the board scores additional points um, based on the game state. And so you kind of try to be the one to pick when scoring happens so that you can maximize your points. Um, I think if I played it again, I'd, I wouldn't make some of the same mistakes that I did the first time around. And maybe maybe it would go better. But yeah, I think it's a pretty cool game. Yeah, I was going to say it kind of feels like asymmetric games like, uh, I don't know, Cry Havoc, Roots, um, whatever, Chaos of the Old World, not really Blood Rage or something where you kind of actually start out the same, but you get abilities throughout the game to kind of differentiate you a little bit from the other factions. Uh, what I kind of like about it actually is actually ironically the slower moving pace of the game. Uh, because there's not that many super crazy things you can do in the game. Uh, yeah, there's obviously Take That and some really kind of good events circumstantially, but uh, there's nothing that like super highly swings the score, so I think it's very... Like I said, kind of, it feels very methodical, but it does have kind of the feeling of uh, asymmetry, like uh, root. And actually, we played with one module of the expansion, just one, with the asymmetric technologies, which, uh, like I was expecting, the base game was very kind of you knew exactly what you were getting and the second upgrade is basically now you can fight uh ships because the first phase is kind of set up you just set up influence all over the map and then second phase is actually more conflict so you start fighting and removing cubes and ships more uh so uh this kind of changes it slightly where it gives you a little bit of an advantage uh, as to the different factions so i think it's actually really cool i wish i knew that the expansion was coming because i should have read the other modules because I'm really curious. But I feel like this game is kind of underappreciated uh, as it is with most of... Uh, what's his name's designs? I can't remember. He's a famous... Jeff Engelstein. Kind of, yeah, Jeff Engelstein. He's a... I think he's a professor or something. So he, he designs a lot of games that are kind of like... They feel very academic, but maybe not as much fun to play. And I think that's kind of the... Uh, what people think about the expanse is what I've heard is maybe like it's it's a little bit dry or something doesn't feel as exciting but actually I kind of appreciate that about it so overall I think it was pretty kind of a memorable experience um, so that's the expanse plus the expansion which uh, has a really dumb name doors and corners it refers to the show there's a character who, uh, who was talking about doors and corners and actually they reminded me about it because i even i had forgotten about it from the first season uh, the show's on like season seven or something so it's been a while uh but yeah there was a character who was talking about uh, kind of you have to basically watch the show or i think you read the books there's also books i haven't read the books i don't know if it mentioned there but it's it's from it's a reference to the show so doors and corners <laughs> in space <laughs> no not in space just doors yeah. and corners that's that's a lot of words that went over my head because I haven't watched the show. <laughs> it's just called The Expanse Doors and Corners, which sounds really ridiculous. Like, it's a space game, so like, doors <laughs> and corners. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, cool game. Uh, while we're talking about uh, area control games, I thought I'd 
bringing up A War of Whispers, uh, which we also played recently. This is uh, designed by Jeremy Stoltzfus and published by Starling Games. Uh, like I said, it's an area control game with a twist. Um, basically, the main twist in this game is that uh, there's, was it four or five different colors um, on this circular board, uh, which is the map, that are controlled simultaneously, potentially by all players in the game. Um, so you're trying to ultimately get the color you like to have the most area control um, and have, I think, cities is the scoring mechanism. It, basically, to yeah. control the largest, the, the most number of cities at the end of the game. Um, but unless you take an action to flip to the tokens, nobody can really see your alliances. So you have five secret tokens in front of you in, in different orders. And depending on the arrangement of those tokens, you will score more for one color than another. And so the game is kind of this interesting dynamic of you try to get your preferred colors into good positions without giving away your preferences too early, which I was really intrigued by early game. Uh, a lot of fun, and, and I was... I was pleasantly surprised that I, I did not expect to like this game. And then we were playing it. I thought it was pretty cool. But then towards the end of the game, that's when uh, you start to hear the gears <laughs> like creaking under pressure. And there's some design issues that or issues that we took with the design. Um, but uh, yeah, what, what did you think of the game Risa, before we get into that? Uh, overall, actually, I didn't really like it that much. I think the idea is really interesting, which is what attracted me to the game because I really like these kind of unique concepts and uh, just kind of experiments. Uh, this has been sort of done before with people who kept saying like Imperial uh, while we were playing it, Imperial, Imperial 2030. Uh, I've played Imperial 2030, not quite the same, but the concept of where you play an area control, but you don't play the as as the nation or whatever civilization or whatever is involved in the area control you play as someone who is like funding them or has interest in them winning or owns shares of them in imperial for example and this one you're just basically kind of betting on them with your secret discs so yeah there's like uh the concept of the game is really cool there's five factions which are fighting or five empires which are fighting and four people who are like betting on the success of uh someone in particular and the failure of someone else uh but overall i think like uh, trevor was saying the promise of a cool game is there but the mechanics don't kind of to me quite add up to greatness they're just kind of kind of have some problems <laughs> yeah <laughs> like for example one of the one of the first issues we had which Again, this is something that seemed cool to, at the beginning of the game, but then got um, progressively more annoying towards the end is that um, each of the five factions... So the way you take actions in the game is you place these agent tokens on spaces around the board. And each there, there's five sections of the board, and each section of the board corresponds to one of the colors of the factions that's on the board. And you can take generally the same types of actions, either put 
banners, which are the armies, onto the board, or you can draw cards or move or you know do do things like that. Um, but what happens is once everybody's gone through the placement phase where you're deciding which actions you're going to do, it's then an invariable uh, sequence of events. So blue is going to go before red, who's going to go before green, who's going to go before yellow, who's going to go before brown, always. And combined with that, the the factions are set up asymmetrically at the start of the game. And so some factions are really good at some things and some factions are really bad at others. Um, and because of the invariable turn order, it, it, eventually maybe, you know, maybe it was just the style of the play, the group we were playing with, but it kind of became a bit scripted. And um, if you had bet on, one of the early round colors, you were basically just annihilated because you have no opportunity most of the time to fix it. There are some cards that let you do stuff with colors out of turn, but for the most part, you're activating colors in order. So the earlier you go, the more potential you have to kind of be knocked around as, as that color. And so that was, that was one of the key complaints I think that our group had with, with the game was invariable play to, play order for the colors and then um the asymmetric start didn't feel quite right yeah i was actually thinking maybe our game was a result of we played a variant where you deal a different faction for the top preference of everyone it is possible to have like three people be interested in the same faction uh basically what happened in our game was the bigger kind of so to speak problem for me was towards the end of the game most factions actually ended up with most cities that they owned at the beginning of the game so basically we did a lot of stuff which didn't really amount to much in terms of changing the board um it was all very kind of not even exciting but ultimately the board ended up very similar to the way it started yeah the game so kind of kind of a weird vibe there um but maybe i don't know maybe if you deal out a faction at the beginning of the game which is supposedly weak or something uh because we were thinking one of the factions which only owns one city but supposedly is really good like militarily they might actually do better if three people are pushing them you know what i mean i don't know that's kind of something <laughs> that yeah that's kind of like the maybe only way else, they might do well you know <laughs> i was gonna say that someone else would probably i'd like someone else to try because i'm not sure <laughs> i want to try uh but yeah to, to trevor's point the you go in a circle around the board and the the civilizations take a turn in spe a specific order and as with most area controls whoever goes last has kind of an advantage of having seen what's happened before and where they can have the most impact and that's kind of significant and i feel like they're kind of stronger because of that like betting on them is kind of safer which is just kind of bad i don't know the game would uh become very complicated if a lot of these things were implemented though like variable turn order more complicated stuff happening uh it's supposed to be about an hour i think we played way longer because all of us were like trying to do weird stuff uh but the game is actually designed to be really quick and kind of uh not silly but uh, simpler so I think that's why the decisions were made to just kind of simplify a lot of things like have the nations always go in the same order and stuff the other thing that I feel like was is a problem in the game is 
uh, all your or preferences are hidden the entire game. You can reveal them if you swap preferences, which usually is not good because then people try to ruin your clearly preferred faction and <laughs> push the faction you hate, you know, uh, because they're visible now. But, uh, oh yeah, because the preferences are hidden, there are these options around the board where on the worker placement space you can choose to get units for some kind of empire uh, that's like fighting or you can get cards and the cards are for yourself and no one can steal your cards so basically almost everyone was preferring to get cards rather than units because the units are visible on the board and they're very predictable but the cards are not predictable so i think there's like a kind of a higher value on having cards as opposed to units because you can do something more unpredictable and push your faction i think that was kind of the perception and that's kind of a, just a fundamental kind of problem with the game in my opinion but I don't know like i say overall a very interesting idea the execution in my opinion is just kind of not quite there it doesn't and it wasn't that much fun to be honest to just even play the game the process of playing the game was very kind of like all right i get two cards this round and i placed two workers and yay and the board is not changing ultra drastically sometimes it changes interestingly but it's very also easy to revert uh control to territories where the original nation because the board is divided in the original nation where they started and if there's no unit somewhere it reverts automatically to the original nation including the city control so i think that like just pushes the board naturally to become what it was at the beginning of the game which is very kind of annoying to me yeah i wish the board kind of changed in some way and it kind of didn't yeah i agree and and that was kind of the the part that started to started to wear on me towards the end is that um it doesn't really matter how much you try to swing it in the way of your color because it is so easy to undo things um and not only is it easy to undo things but like you said the game helps people undo things um, by if if the, all the cubes the units are gone in the area it just like goes back to the color so yeah I don't know in an area control I I would prefer it to be a little harder to break through and take things back and this game was it's just pretty easy which maybe is supposed to lean into the hidden preferences element of the game but you know like we said at the start yeah. it's uh, it, it had a cool promise and I started out liking it but as the game went on and I played it more I just kind of stopped liking it maybe it almost needs like three people to prefer one nation so it can explode the unfortunate thing that a lot of people are complaining about uh, the possibility of that happening is if you're one of the nations that if you prefer one of the nations that is getting beat up basically you're just not going to win the game from the from round one <laughs> just yeah. by the, by virtue of not having dealt the right tokens you know yeah for example two can... people can be dealt the same nation and they're just pushing it the whole game and they beat your nation up and it's just like okay i, I lost from the very beginning yeah, and it's not necessarily as easy as, okay, well, then I'll just jump ship on that one and then start favoring that one, the one they're fighting for as well, because yeah, that depends on where that color is on your board. So yeah. you might be, you might have to swap your third favorite for your first favorite, whereas everybody else might have that the dominant color as their favorite and the, your color as their last 
favorite. So it's yeah, it's hard. It's really hard to manipulate that without showing your cards and and just like telling everybody what you're doing in the game, which kind of goes against what the game is supposed to be, I think. Yeah, it kind of actually reminds me in some ways of another game, which is kind of smaller and faster battle for Rokugan, uh, which we also need to uh, play maybe. Uh, I wanted to give it a couple more chances, but uh, to me it's kind of the same. Like uh, the battle for Rokugan, I think the interesting premise there is bluff tokens so you don't uh, i think it's uh, you kind of everyone states their supposed attacks but then you reveal these tokens and they could actually not be attacks so you don't know where the attacks are going <laughs> basically uh which sounds interesting but again like in practice it wasn't that cool or innovative it was more just kind of like randomness and accidentally someone's getting destroyed and maybe they can never catch up because two people attack them at the same time just accidentally because no one knows what they're doing uh so another kind of smaller format game which is supposed to play faster and not be taken super seriously kind of reminds me of that just in general uh for some reason not the same mechanics really or anything just kind of the style of game it is kind of simpler area control yeah but yeah yeah that's yeah i I think it's fine i probably wouldn't really seek out to play it again unfortunately i don't know if anyone else would um if people are playing i'd be fine playing with them but not with too much excitement to be honest (laughs) yeah well i'd I'd doubt that this one's gonna really make it to the top of the suggestion pile from anybody that played it yeah uh, but anyway that's a war of whispers yep uh just a couple of days ago i actually had a one of a very few uh fun days since the beginning of the whole pandemic thing because we had five people together and that doesn't happen frequently uh playing exits and unlocks is actually what we ended up playing most of the afternoon uh we we were talking about maybe we should have actually brought like party games because it's very rare to play party games these days because of the pandemic but we had the opportunity to but no one had party games so we played exits and unlocks uh, the very interesting observation for me was uh, I played some really cool exits. Actually, I really like exits uh, in general. I think they're really just kind of awesome. Uh, there was a murder mystery one, Theft on the Mississippi. Actually, I, I had bought it and I was uh, hoping to play it with uh, Trevor. And that's unfortunately not going to happen anymore. So <laughs> sad. But I think the, I mur- the murder mystery one's actually i like a lot there was also a murder on the orient or orient express i think uh, previously Uh, i think they work really well enjoyed the kind of murder mystery implementation of exits that one was really cool as well some really cool puzzles think people are actually i was a little scared maybe i had like really bad expectations which leads to good experiences because i was expecting it to be i had heard about just kind of really weird puzzles kind of just ridiculous puzzles and yeah there was one ridiculous puzzle i'm not going to spoil anything but i think that puzzle is just like just dumb just kind of bad design uh we did kind of figure it out but it's it's a little just insane uh but other than that actually it was kind of very enjoyable uh in general i think exits are just really well designed most of the puzzles feel very fair we only played one unlock i uh, think i liked it i wasn't super huge about the theme um of the unlock i like the exit system better um though 
Uh, my observation was actually I participated in an exit that I, had, that I had previously played, and I was surprised, first of all, how many solutions I did not remember to puzzles. Uh, exits, by the way, and unlocks are kind of uh, these kind of, I guess, escape room-inspired games, but they're not necessarily escape room-themed. They're just based on these kind of salt basically puzzle solving uh you're trying to progress through a story or sometimes actually it is kind of an escape from a mansion or something by solving a series of puzzles and the puzzles are actually kind of very creative um you should just kind of play one to see what it is because it's really hard to describe without experiencing it and actually describing it would be probably kind of more boring than trying to figure it out uh, but it leads to this really cool kind of collaboration and bounce, bouncing ideas off of uh, each other and you kind of figure it out eventually. These like really weird, sometimes logical, sometimes obser observational puzzles, sometimes actually math, sometimes just like connecting lines, basically all kinds of puzzles. Uh, so anyway, I was surprised uh, how much I did not remember some solutions from exits that I had just played like six months prior. Um, just really crazy. Sometimes I, it took me like a good two or three minutes to just kind of play around with the components and like, oh yeah. And the other thing was actually it was really entertaining to uh, kind of look at other people and basically laugh at their ineptitude of like noticing some things and you just kind of, uh, I don't know, I think uh, the, I, I, the exits are designed by Inca and Marcus Brand, right? I think are they uh i don't know i think all of them actually are the designers of uh the unlocks are all different but yeah i think exit Sarenka and marcus brand so i can just picture them kind of maybe during playtesting, just kind of being in my shoes and just kind of enjoying people <laughs> enjoying observing people uh kind of failing to notice certain things and just kind of like i can't believe that they're not getting it <laughs> kind of a thing so it was just kind of very entertaining uh to me and maybe a lesson on uh kind of basically follow the clues that they give you because i think a lot of the clues in the exits are very literal literal they should be taken literally and just kind of trust the clues and you'll probably be okay uh because it was kind of amazing to me how many times like people are really close or maybe even right on the ball with a solution and other people are just like talking them out of it or they got talked out of it or they gave up or something so basically just never give up and no matter how ridiculous the solution seems it might actually work <laughs> so anyway uh, kind of interesting but yeah we played exits the whole afternoon and uh, one unlock so it's a lot of fun that's about it yeah exits oh. are cool I was gonna I say, like, yeah, uh, you've you've played a couple of exits with uh, me, and unfortunately, we've been playing mostly Maracaibo with, um, yeah, on Friday. Spoilers. At least. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, exit yeah. games are cool. I've I've gone to many escape rooms, and so it's kind of fun to have that in your house, that kind of experience that simulates the same feelings of puzzle solving things. Uh, but apparently, my exit days are over. <laughs> no, uh, there's actually a few, I think, like, one left that we can probably play together. I have unlocks that we can play, though, for sure. Exits, not so much. Cool. Uh, well, the next game I wanted to talk about briefly is not an exit game. It's called Mercado de Lisboa from Vital Lacerda, 
and Julian or Julian Pombo. Uh, this is uh, published by Eagle Griffin Games. And this is, I think, what they've been selling it as a crunchy filler game. Um, anybody who knows Vital Lacerda would not asso associate any game he's designed with the title filler. Um, but I think that this one actually lives up to, to that because it is pretty light um, with a little bit of crunch. Basically what the game is, is it takes the reconstruction portion of the game Lisboa and turns it into its own game. And what you're doing is you're going into this market and you're trying to open up stalls and restaurants and then invite customers to those restaurants who will then pay you money. Um, and whoever has the most money at the end of the game wins. And so the game is set up on a five by five grid. And um, depending on what you're placing, you're either spending money or getting money or both. So if you're opening a stall, you have to pay one coin to open your stall plus the, num the number of stalls in the rower column, and you're always just paying the most. So if you place in a spot where there's three stalls in a column and only two stalls in the row, you'll pay three coins to build that stall. And then there are... So you go out filling out the board, trying to get the stalls you like. I think there's um, maybe five different types of stalls. Tomatoes, uh, grapes, uh, pizza. <laughs> flowers, I, I think. Flowers, yeah. There's flowers. That's the, the, yeah, there's flowers. Um, hamburger stands. Anyway, so each there's like five different stalls, and they correspond to five different restaurants. Um, and if a restaurant is placed adjacent to a stall that is of the same type, so if there's a wine bar placed next to uh, like a grape stand, then that grape stand will bring in more money for the customers that visit it because it's got the benefit of having a restaurant right next door. Um, so you'll, you'll build out your stalls and restaurants, and then on the side of the board, there's a market of customers, and customers either come alone or in twos, threes, or a group of four. And basically the scoring mechanic for customers is you place the customer tile on the outskirts of this grid. And depending on what those customers want to eat, they will then give money to the stalls. Um, you, you multiply the value of your stall plus adjacent restaurants by the number of customers. Uh, on the tile that you're placing. And so you just go through, get money to then build more stalls, place restaurants, and the game ends when either there are only four empty spaces left in the market or when there's only four entrance places where you place a customer. Uh, the game actually is pretty short. I think it probably, once people get kind of how it works it probably is over in 30 to 40 minutes 40 minutes would be a long game is my guess um it is a little chaotic at higher player counts we found um because like the the board game the the board state can change so much from one turn to the next so it can be challenging to plan things as you might have been accustomed to in the full game of Lisboa. Um, but I think that the game actually really sung. We played it at, we've played it at four players and two players, and I've played several times solo as well. 
And I thought that the game sung the most at two players. What, what do you think about the game so far, Hariso? Uh, it kind of, it's basically an abstract game in my opinion. And yeah, it's basically the mini game from Lisboa. Uh, it's fine. It kind of reminds me of uh, this ridiculously long game title, Masters of the Renaissance, Lorenzo El Magnifico, the card game. Uh, very kind of similar vibes of um, kind of weight and game time and control over the game, which is to say not much, uh, but maybe better in a two-player game. Um, I feel like in Mercado de Lisboa and Masters of the Renaissance, both games like kind of get more chaotic as you add people, so two-player is probably better, but still there's some kind of a top-decking situation in Mercado de Lisboa which can affect the game, so it's not quite a really kind of uh, perfect information abstract or anything, or sometimes you don't get what you're hoping for, so you kind of have to deal with whatever you're dealt sometimes. But it's fine, yeah. It's it's a decent game. Um, it's just kind of yeah. I mean, to be clear, I'd there's say, also top decking in the full game. Yeah, I'd say kind of ridiculously light, um, lighter than I expected. I I was actually kind of imagining imagining that there would be just kind of more something more happening in the game in general, but it's very simplified, which kind of makes sense because they're going for like half an hour experience, forty five minutes experience. So yep. That's it, but it's it's just fine. Yeah, it was interesting to play a uh, Vitalisert a game of this weight because you you go into it expecting to be scarred by the weight, <laughs> uh, but then it turned out to actually be just kind of a filler game. Um, I think that the mini game in the full Lisboa game is still better, but if you've got twenty minutes and you want to play a game like this, I think it's a it's a fine option. Uh, I think it's. I actually think it's like the same. The thing is, in the full game, there's uh, other things to consider, which makes that game interesting because it's connected with kind of a lot of other things upwards. You know what I mean? Like it's not you're not just playing that game. You're considering like five thousand other things that are going on and like other possible actions that you can do instead of playing the game itself. Right. So I think that's why it's a little bit, the focus maybe is a little too low for my liking. I wish it was pulled up a little bit higher or something, or just, it just had like some kind of extra mechanic to make it more fascinating in some way. I don't know why or how, uh, but it's, it's fine for what it is. Just kind of way simpler than I expected. Yeah, um, it like, it doesn't have the area majorities um, aspect of the game, or of the full Lisboa game. Uh, it's all consolidated down into one resource type, so you're not worrying about getting uh, any resources or benefits for any other type of actions. It's all just very streamlined down to, I think, just the core essence of what that mini game in the full Lichboa game is, um, which does take away, I think, as you mentioned, some of the interest. But I think if you just appreciate it for what it is, it's it's fine and you'll have fun. So far, I recommend more at two players than at four players, but uh, that's probably just player preference. Um, but anyway, that's Mercado de Lichboa. Apparently best three, according to BGG. I don't know if I trust that, but... Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll give it a shot. 
I guess the last thing that I wanted to mention is more like of uh, this weird uh, observation of uh, something that I've noticed has happened to me lately. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm noticing it, but uh, just kind of pulling these really weird things um, out of games where the games build up to uh, very unlikely things happening. <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of a weird intro, but basically we played Inish as well as part of our area control uh, weekend and tournamented Camelot, which is another not area control, but kind of take that game with um, trick taking. Take that, which we've uh, actually talked about quite a bit. But yeah, Inish, uh, I think we've talked about it before. It's an air control game. Uh, it had a really strange ending where um, something very unlikely happened and it just got me started thinking about just maybe, I don't know, maybe I, I'm lately either noticing or attracting these situations where like a lot is hinging on one thing. <laughs> Sometimes it, it fails Something's and it going just blows on in the up universe in your yeah, uh, what happened in Inish is basically there was a card which disabled um, a card which would have let me continue playing in the last round, and what ended up happening is me and another player played zero actions in the last round of the game <laughs> because it's this <laughs> I weird kind of cool. because it's this kind of weird waiting game where you're trying to again go last to see what happens uh, in hoping that people hurt each other so that you get a benefit out of it. Uh, so it has the, I think actually that's maybe more the one of the more interesting things about Inish is, uh, you can pass, but if everyone passes the rounds over, so you can pass and kind of see what happens, but you probably shouldn't pass too much <laughs> because then you get to do nothing. So yeah, um, tournament at Camelot, the unlikely thing there was, uh, I got like really bad hands in succession with a character that takes double damage at the beginning of the game. So the games lasted like literally one round, which was really weird so yeah kind of kind of interesting i don't know uh has that happened to you trevor ever <laughs> just uh, the game hinging on maybe one action i was also thinking just about like, like the dune imperium like last worker placement where uh, i needed the last card in my deck the lost ruins of varnak where i didn't pick up the airplane which was the last card in my deck <laughs> just these weird things just keep happening to maybe the universe is conspiring sometimes i feel too prevent me from doing well sometimes but yeah have you i don't know have you ever noticed something like that ever or is it just uh, um, uh what is it called uh superstition uh i think it's superstition no <laughs> no no um actually i have noticed these because i've been in these games and it's um i mean i don't want to say we're bad friends but it's always funny <laughs> when it happens you know and and obviously like nobody's rooting for this to happen to you but it has happened frequently um in in recent days but uh no i i think um i've had similar experiences where it just you know you come down to the final couple turns of the game and literally someone uh got one or something happened because they had the turn before you or or something and so i think it's fairly common for game i like it when games come down to sort of a nail biter situation um but sometimes it's not so fun when you're the one that just gets wrecked because you didn't draw the final card (laughs) 
Yeah, it's kind of weird, actually. It is a little bit of superstition because actually I felt uh, that way about dice and sometimes I still feel uh, like that. Um, I've kind of warmed up to dice, but I really felt like uh, in the past uh, I'd just be more likely to roll something that's like incredibly low odds but really horrible for you. Uh, Monopoly comes to mind, obviously. Um, or just games like Sorry or something, you know, roll-to-move games where uh, if you roll one bad thing, it's really bad, and that's exactly what I would roll like two times in a row, and it's just like, it kind of feels like, I don't know, the game is just kind of so screwing, messing with you. We need, <laughs> we, we need to talk to somebody because you yeah. remember we played uh, we played ghost stories a couple months ago oh yeah yeah and then i never rolled uh, <laughs> and I, I never rolled a success the entire game or something or yep. i rolled one yep. the entire game i think you i think you funny. failed every single test you tried <laughs> yeah no it's kind of funny but i don't know I, I sometimes dice actually work out in these games if you roll them a lot and if you can influence them but i feel like if there's a really high pressure roll usually it ends up in a really really bad situation for me i don't know why but yeah, maybe I need to talk to like a, um, uh, some kind of a, I was going to say a clairvoyant or something. Yeah, somebody, <laughs> to, somebody to, is conspiring. To lift, to lift the curse of the dice. Would this be a bad time to tell you that the way I got that card that ended your game in Inish, was it just kind of floated over to me and like got put into my hand? <laughs> like out of the deck from from thin air, it just yeah. fell out of the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Michael Michael handed it over under uh, to you under the table. Yeah, no, so actually, <laughs> Michael was the one who was uh, also uh, surprisingly ended by that card. So it might have been Jess, actually. Yeah, that was a good time. Oh, she was not happy that I ended. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't think she was happy the entire game because she never had, like, an advantage. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, Inish was cool, but that I thought that that... So, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting commentary on perspective because that happening from my perspective was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I had this card at the at this exact time. And from your perspective, it was, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you had that card at this yep. exact time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It was kind of a memorable moment, though, even though it was kind of like, wow, the game ended like two or three rounds before it should have ended. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. We'll be it, talking about that one for years. <laughs> yeah. Not in a good way for me, but oh, well. But yeah, just kind of a weird observation. But yeah, Anish is a cool game still. I think it's really good. I need to get the expansion for it, which I also think is really good and kind of uh, changes up the game slightly, but not too much. It's still very kind of under control. Uh, yeah, sometimes, yeah, it's you don't always get to do what you want in it, but I think it's, the system is really uh, fascinating the way it's designed. Yeah, Inish was another one for me, kind of like um, The Expanse, where I started out kind of not really getting how it was supposed to go, but then as with any game, the more you play it, the more you understand what's happening. And towards the end, I thought it was cool. And if I yeah. could get the if I could get the card that ends your game every time, that would be nice. Yeah, actually, yeah, that would that was really nice. But I was gonna say Hinnish in particular. I think I didn't really like it the first couple of times, or I wasn't sure about it. I think it kind of gets better the more you play it, because the more you play it, the more like maybe a meta game also develops or something, or just kind of you understand how to control things better and what situation is exploitable and what is like a strong. 
uh, standing of someone because it's actually not really obvious. Like having a lot of people doesn't necessarily translate to winning the game. Um, so it's kind of a weird, weird game. But anyway, yep. Um, yeah. That's I, about it. I actually really like that about Inish, though, is because I think so, to a certain extent, some in some games um, that are so close quarters, like Inish. When if if it is the fact that somebody has a a lot more units on the board than you, it just makes it hopeless. That kind of feels like not as fun, in my opinion. Yeah, as- they still have influence, but like it's not like other games where th- they can just kind of bully people around. They can bully some people around, but uh, like I said, it doesn't always translate to winning the game. All right, so that's games played. Let's head on into our topic: digital implementations of board games. So when you're thinking about digital implementations of board games, um, there's sort of three categories that come to mind of, of how you might have a digital implementation. And the first category that comes to mind is app-assisted games. This would be a game like Mansions of Madness or Lord of the Rings, Journeys of Middle-Earth. Games where the digital component of the game is part of the game, but you're still playing with uh, physical pieces. Then there's a category of fully scripted or app versions of the games where you know, the game has been programmed and you just click buttons and the the coding does it all for you. And then there's a third category of digital implementations, which is basically just a digital scan of a physical game. And then you just play it in sort of a physics engine. And this would be your tabletop simulators and tabletopias of the world. And uh, just to kick the conversation off, Risto, um, in general, what are your views? on digital implementations of games do you like them do you not like them uh it's an interesting topic actually uh because side note where when i was looking at bgg today just kind of looking up stuff for the podcast and even now i noticed uh some weird game called my father's work and i don't know what it does but uh the weird thing is it only has like three reviews i don't know how it's so high on the hotness uh, maybe it's a new game about to come out, but yep, one of it. the comments is not a board game app required to play the game on the outside looks awesome. Too bad. It's not the freaking board game. Uh, so I don't know how I feel about that though, because yeah, the, I think I'm actually fine. We've talked about, yeah, just kind of apps and board games. And when does a board game stop being a board game? Because uh, there have been some Kickstarters which have tried to kind of push the limits. I don't know where they went. There was a project where there was a like basically kind of an electronic board game, almost like that mall game that I never played, uh, which was popular in the US, uh, or like the Mousetrap, I think. Basically a game with a really high physical component where you're kind of putting like a constructor set together almost and uh, in that case you were putting like electronic components together so i don't know is that a board game or is it like a video game or is it the mix uh for me actually i'm totally fine with apps and board games i used to be kind of really against them and actually what turned me around was possibly 
uh, unlocks to some extent and alchemists in particular. I think alchemists are just the idea of an app managing hidden information about the game. Also, search for Planet X. That's another really good use case. Um, the game acting is kind of a game master in some way, which is also kind of the unlocks or the just kind of... Uh, storing hidden stuff and giving you clues about things, which is Search Planet X and Alchemist. I think that's a really good implementation. Um, I've also had bad experiences where, uh, gosh, I think there was some kind of a detective game and I can't remember what it was called, but uh, uh, it was really popular and people liked Wasn't it a lot. Wasn't it called Detective? No, no, it's not Detective because Detective is uh, Portal Games, Ignacy's game. It just, I don't know, it was really popular. Oh, uh, Chronicles of Crime. Chronicles of Crime, yes, exactly. Um, I think that was actually not a good app implementation in, in my view because as a solo game, I think that'd be awesome. But as a two or three player game, basically you're kind of playing a video game. You're constantly scanning cards and looking at the phone and you're not really talking about or looking at other people. It doesn't feel like you're really there that much i think you're just kind of focusing on the phone a lot and to me i think maybe that's where the boundary is for me is like the the app or the digital stuff add to the game by like facilitating something uh speaking of facilitation weird words is a really good uh implementation as well where again it's like a game master uh, it's a werewolf type game with words though so it kind of gives you clues and it gives someone like another clue so it again it's kind of giving you words and doing hidden hidden clues to people but if it facilitates the game i think it's good if it kind of becomes the game game then i think that's where i'm kind of losing interest <laughs> so yeah. the line is fine i guess but i still enjoy board games for what they are which is to kind of bring people together socially and uh kind of hang out but not just hang out but uh, also feel like you're solving a puzzle together or just do some kind of a, a weird brain math exercise together which is what board gaming is for me yeah i agree i think um the times I've enjoyed sort of the app-assisted games, um, I enjoy them more when it doesn't turn into everyone's just staring at the screen now. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing is like, is it assisting the game or is it the game? Yeah, exactly. And so the the experience I've, or the most experience I've had with, a, I think a good system of this is, um, I used to play Mansions of Madness more uh, a while ago, and I have played the the Lord of the Rings: Journeys of Middle Earth. And what that game, what that app basically does is it takes away all of what would be normally the really fiddly parts of the game, like have to look into the rule book to find this passage of text or what happens when you draw this card or blah blah blah, like lots of things that might otherwise be fiddly. And it just streamlines the experience to where the players can just focus on moving your piece around the board, interacting and and maybe fighting enemies and solving puzzles and then the app just assists you with that rather than sort of makes the game all about the app which i agree is kind of more of a video game in in a creative form rather than than a board game um so that's kind of my view on i, I share your view with in terms of app assisted games uh what do you what do you think about fully scripted app versions of games do you do you like them 
Uh, actually, I've been thinking about that lately as well, because at the beginning of the pandemic, I was on this board game arena binge, and lately I've been thinking about just kind of, should I go on board game arena and play some games? And the answer is kind of no, <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know, I just don't feel like... Uh, playing online or on a phone or something you again lose that social uh connection with people especially on board game arena where you can't even talk to people so you're basically just playing against someone else like completely in a silent environment where it, it is fun but it's also kind of definitely not the same as being there physically and yeah, to some extent, that's fun, but also maybe not the social aspect that I'm kind of looking for in board games sometimes, or just kind of to be around people. Uh, definitely, that's not there. And sometimes I feel like playing games without the social aspect, but uh, lately I've been maybe in the mood of just kind of, I don't want the pure math experience of going online and just kind of bashing my head against cards or something um, without the social aspect of it. So I think for me, it's kind of like in waves, I guess, because there was, like I say, a period where I was playing a lot of board game arena and I was interested in phone apps. Lately, kind of not so much. Actually, there have been some maps that I need to play more on my phone. There's I have a digital version of Morals which is a two-player game, which which we can play sometime, and uh, another two-player game, which is New Hiroshima Convoy, which I really actually kind of like, and I played it kind of quite a bit over a couple of weeks, and then I just kind of stopped, and I just kind of haven't had a desire to really play games on my phone at all lately. I don't know why, but... Yeah, uh, just kind of weird. Um, I kind of prefer the real deal, obviously, to the point where I don't even want to play the games on on uh, line so much. Tabletop Simulator is a weird kind of middle ground because I think, um, yeah, it is kind of bad that it's all online and you're staring at the screen, but I think the open kind of sandbox nature of just the way it is makes it feel kind of fun and or slightly more fun than playing more on board game arena being able to just kind of even like fiddle with the components and move them around and whatever uh also the voice chat and just kind of uh, maybe just hanging out with people that you know so i think tabletop simulators may be a, a better way of doing things than fully scripted apps ironically because it also takes more effort, I think, to play games on Tabletop Simulator because there are no rules. So Board Game Arena, it's actually really easy and quick to play games. It takes, like, no time at all because everything's, like, scripted, so you just push buttons. But also, I think I think that takes away from the game in some way, in, in a weird way. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I, I um, have had a couple of experience late, experiences lately that uh, basically bring me to... Virtually the same conclusion is that there there are certain appealing aspects about playing in the app or or on tabletop simulator or something like that. You know, there's like virtually no setup time. You could theoretically play with anybody remotely um, if if it's a game that's not super popular or with the game group you have. You can potentially play against AI players. Um, so there's and you know, and maybe the game is also less expensive 
uh, in a digital version than finding yeah, a physical sure. copy of it. So there are certain uh, alluring factors for the app, but then you know I have a folder on my phone um, f- of of games, and just looking at it now, I probably have like twenty apps on my phone of, of board game implementations. I have played probably one or two games uh, of the app version in the last four months, right? So I, I don't play them as much. And I was thinking about why that is. And I think it's exactly what you've been saying is, yeah, I could just go play the game just for the fun of playing the game, which kind of in some ways turns into a math exercise. Um, and it's not a very social experience. And if I really like the game, I'll do that. Um, but it's always in my in my preference it's always better to to play the physical copy or at least play with people which is why i think tabletop simulator is sometimes more appealing than playing with a cold app yeah no actually i was thinking like it's very simple it's kind of like uh would you rather have a conversation with like a neighbor or someone in your like uh, living room or would you rather message someone with like texts? <laughs> it's exactly text, the same definitely. thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely text if you're uh, yeah. born after 2000. Anyway, uh, just kidding. I think uh, the definitely there's uh, something to, to doing the real deal with board games in particular. So yeah. Now yeah. that being said, some apps um, have a attract online communities. And the table talk through the text chat can be a little more active, which is more fun. For example, I, I, um, every week or two, I'll play a game or two of Root online in the app. And there's pretty active community for that game. And the people tend to be active in the chat during the game, which is nice because that's, you know, what happens during the the physical copy of the game as well. And so I've enjoyed those experiences, but I've also jumped on and played a game of terraforming Mars online and it's just silenced the whole time. And it's, <laughs> it's like super boring. You um, can imagine like, uh, I don't know, people just sitting there calculating stuff and staring yes, at the screen. Exactly. That's super fun. But uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> anyway, yeah, well, I think, that's basically uh, what terraforming Mars is anyway. But yeah, yeah, that's yeah but uh, if you're playing at the table, at least you can commiserate <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah, you can think uh, together. In yeah, silence. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I like that game, but yeah, the app version is even though it's really well done, it's um, playing online with people. At least in my experience, I've not really ever like chanced into a game where there's been active conversation. Um, but yeah, I think that that's maybe rare to find with apps in particular is that the, you know, I can't imagine I jump online and find a good game of Sagrada where people are talking, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's certainly a, one of the biggest cons against playing a digital version for me is that it, it it's not, it's not as social of an experience. I don't know. It'd be really tough to enforce it, but I was actually thinking maybe if there was something with like uh, required voice chat and chat and webcam or something that might be actually acceptable with board game arena style play or something that might be more interesting. So you can kind of like see who you're playing with or like talk to them or something. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah that'd be kind of tough to first enforce. Second. It might lead to like annoying interactions. Is everything online, obviously? <laughs> yeah. So, 
Well, yeah. in Board Game Arena in particular, you're playing with people from all over the world, so there'd be a language yeah. barrier in many <sighs> cases, I think. Yeah, in many cases, a lot of them have English listed in English, kind of a relatively global language, so it wouldn't be that much of an issue. But yeah, a lot of French people, actually, it's based on France, so in France, so there's a lot of French people on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, you mentioned um, liking to play on Tabletop Simulator, but that it can sometimes make the experience longer. I've actually... found that playing a game on tabletop simulator because or i guess it you know it'll depend on how familiar the people you're playing with are with those types of systems but i've found that sometimes you can even double the playtime of a game just because of how you interface with it um yeah, it shouldn't be that extreme, and I think it's people not being used to the interface in some ways, or just kind of, I don't know. I think it's it's the same if you play with those people in real life, if they take a long time thinking about moves. Yeah, they're they're still going to take a long time. They're still going to take a long time thinking about moves. Uh, if they're not familiar with the interface, yeah, I can see that being annoying. Actually... Uh, on tabletop it was kind of a weird start for me as well because at the beginning you know all the shortcuts that you need to know like alt control like uh, shaking things whatever like selecting multiple cards typing in numbers those things are not super intuitive at the beginning so there is kind of an annoying curve that you kind of have to just i think just get over by just forcing yourself to <laughs> to play games on tabletop simulator but then you get used to it and now it's like really easy for me to uh play games on there so i think a lot of people are put off by that like learning of you know how to pick up cards how to put things underneath other things you know just the really weird quirks that uh tabletop has um so it does have that component of just not knowing the interface sometimes which can really slow down the game if you're doing some things that are taking a while yeah now there's a there's also an interesting aspect uh, to take into account when you're um, thinking about purchasing and playing a fully scripted app of a game, which is that um, it, have you ever played a game in real life where people got rules wrong? Uh, no, never. It <laughs> never happens. Not even yeah, in well, our playthroughs, like on YouTube nope. or Mondays, like two Mondays ago. It just never happens. No, yeah, no, never happens. So think about if that never es- happened. Especially, especially not important rules that basically break the whole game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we're joking because, yeah, that uh, we've had a couple of really bad fails. One was Bonfire, where we get uh, really kind of a small rule wrong, but that game is like so kind of optimized that anything that you change, it kind of has ripple effects throughout the whole game. The other one was kind of bad Pixie Queen, among other things that we've gotten wrong over time but those were two recent examples which were kind of relatively bad yep yep although i don't i can't say i got pixie queen wrong (laughs) i wasn't there for that one um but but imagine if you take someone that has a misunderstanding of the rules and then programs it into an app incorrectly uh, oh, pff. yeah, that shouldn't happen. That's yeah, really bad. <laughs> but it does. And I've and I have played several apps where the rules are just wrong. 
Um, the the most recent example that comes to mind, and this I wanted to bring this up because it has actually turned me away from having the the enthusiasm to play the app, even though I like the game. Otherwise, um, one big example they've probably fixed it by now, but it was the Blood Rage app on Steam. Um, they had some really wrong rules and really bad decisions in terms of design uh, for the digital implementation. So, for example, you know how you can draft cards at the beginning of every era in that game? Yep. Well, you should be anyway. Yeah, you should cards. be playing that way. <laughs> um, well, the app made you wait. Uh, so one person would pick a card, and then another person would pick a card, and then another one put person would pick a card and you wouldn't get to see the hand until all five people or whoever many you're playing with had seen and chosen their first card and so the drafting phase of the game took like half an hour yeah i don't know there's no reason to delay it i can see how people may play that way because you get to look at the cards the exact same time as yep. other people but it just delays the game i prefer in drafting games to just kind of whenever you're done yeah. just pass the hand because exactly what, why not Exactly. So that that kind of highlighted something to me that it really matters who is making your game um, and implementing it because a bad experience, even if it's just in like beta, um, if it's been released to the public and I buy your app and it's wrong and has terrible like uh, user interface or or whatever, um, I'm really probably not very likely to return to play that app a whole lot because I just don't trust that the game's going to be correct or something like that. Yeah, that's crazy. Board Game Arena actually has a really good system as far as that goes. I've actually almost never had problems with games there. Uh, there was a game which kind of had problems starting, and I think they fixed it eventually. There was one thing with Downforce with a rule problem, and actually they have a really awesome like bug tracker where you type in bug in the chat and like basically the whole system is super integrated and really well done where it sends you to this report page and you can see things that other people have reported and they fix things pretty quickly actually their games are pretty pretty well done um and yeah i think that's just kind of really bad hiring decisions i guess if someone if you hire someone to do an app of your game and they don't even care about the rules because if you're implementing a board game, you should definitely care about the rules and yeah. getting them right. It was just really strange because um, the Blood Rage game, I think, was put out by Asmodee Digital. But when you went in and played the earlier Access version of it, it felt like it had been designed by someone who had never played the game. <laughs> so, and I'm yeah, sure they've, bad. I'm sure they've fixed it and and made improvements. But I've just never really had the enthusiasm to go back and play the app because I had such a bad experience <laughs> with it the first time. Um, so. But anyway, the, so yeah, in general, I I like the concept of digital imp implementations in games when they're done well. But um, ultimately, I I don't know that there's any innovation that could be made on uh, a digital version of a board game that could make me prefer it over the experience you get socially and, and from a tactile perspective and and all that from from the physical copy of the game. Yeah, what I would say is, um, I don't know, I can see how being a purist and like, I don't play board games with apps is fine. 
but I think you are missing out if you're not playing, for example, Alchemist or Search for Planet X or yeah. Unlocks, yeah. Uh, because they can have really kind of interesting uses of uh, a phone or just kind of digital stuff. Uh, unlocks with some kind of um, out-of-the-box puzzle type things that use your phone. Uh, search for Planet X because of just game facilitation. I think you, when used for game facilitation, they're really good. Yeah. So, yep. I think they're fine when they're done right. You just have to be careful to do it right, I guess. Yep, I agree. Well, that's it for our discussion today on the digital implementations of board games. Uh, let's dive into some games on our horizon. Uh, games on my horizon, actually, I don't really have much this week in particular. I don't know. I didn't see anything interesting that captures my imagination on Kickstarter or anything like that. I guess, uh, looking at BG Hotness, I'm slightly looking forward to Oath. Um, Trevor was warning us that it's, uh, maybe... <laughs> <laughs> an unfair game or something which actually kind of raises my interest in it because I'm interested in kind of unfair games like maybe Dune or something or just uh, uh, just kind of collective decision games actually uh, King's Dilemma comes to mind I'm not sure if it's anything like King's Dilemma but I actually thought the system of King's Dilemma and the idea of the game was really cool where you're kind of deciding the fate of a kingdom together and people are interested in different things and someone might not get what they want but maybe next game so yeah. Uh, yeah that's an interesting idea the other thing that I thought was interesting just in general was I saw this game uh, Equinox which looking at the reviews is nothing special what I thought was actually kind of interesting uh, was I looked at it because of Reiner Knizia, actually, because I'm just kind of interested in what he's always doing. Uh, like we talked about last podcast, he has like thousands of games, so they're not all good. And I think that actually may not be one of the amazingly good ones. Uh, not to mention that it's a re-implementation of an earlier game that uh, he's done in 97. So how good can it be if it's from 97? I don't know. Uh, it actually is some kind of a simple betting game. What was really interesting to me is that I saw the game in two different boxes uh, with different covers, and I was like, what the heck is this? And it actually turns out uh, that it's not two games. It's, as I su suspected, the exact same game with different boxes art which i think is kind of cool and not very frequently done in board games i think people because of maybe budget constraints or just simplicity when they produce games they produce the same game over and over but in this game you have the option at retail which is usually also a kickstarter thing i've seen it on kickstarter like box covers or something that are different but uh, in this game at retail you can buy uh, an edition with uh, this green guy or whatever or with some kind of an elk on the uh, front of the box um, so just different cover art which I think is really fascinating um, like I say I don't think maybe it's like the first game that I've seen that has different box art released at the same time for the same edition just like choice of box art uh, pretty interesting. Um, I might get to play the game probably at SaltCon if I find it. I'm slightly curious because I like betting games and it used to be a horse game originally, I think, which is usually how betting games start. They usually start as a horse game and some of them are good, some of them are not. But uh, 
yeah, uh, just really, really interesting thing that I just noticed lately. So that's Equinox. Yeah, I wonder how expensive it is to print uh, different cover art for the same game. I actually think maybe the cost is very negligible. It's just kind of, I don't know, actually, I don't know. Maybe it's not negligible, but maybe it is. Because <laughs> uh, <just laughs> like you have switch, to like set it up it, with the printer and everything. To yeah, have... I don't know how the games are printed nowadays. I don't know if you need to do any particular setup or offset printing or something, or maybe it's as simple as just like print 500 copies with this cover, print 500 copies of the other cover, and just ship them all. Uh, it does take some like logistical uh, things, I think, to basically have two different editions, but kind of very interesting uh, that they're offering two exact same games with different cover art. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, really quickly on Oath, yeah, I, I, um, I am waiting for my version to, or my copy to arrive. Uh, same same cover art as all the other copies in the world, unfortunately. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've been talking to Haristo and some other people that might be interested in playing it with us. And I sort of, tr I'm trying to set expectations because I think the game is going to be really cool, but it's going to be really different. It's not maybe going to feel like any game you've played before because it has some unique systems and there's like four different win conditions in any game. So you kind of have to be paying to a lot, paying attention to a lot. And the game is intended to be played over and over um, because the game sort of adds, you build the game as you play it, adding cards and locations and things like that. So this, just the setup of one game might not go your way, whereas another game might go your way. So it's, you kind of have to approach it with a mindset of, um, be interested in the long-term play of the game and how the story develops and not necessarily just, uh, I'm going to build my engine and be efficient in this one play of the game, which could be a difficult mindset for for to to have when you're approaching a board game but anyway yeah i'm also really really excited for that game i think it's going to be cool but different uh game i'm looking forward to just really quickly this is um anno 1800 this is designed by martin wallace published by cosmos and all I can say is I'm interested in it because it's a Martin Wallace industrialization era economic game <laughs> uh, based on a video game. Brass is one of my favorites. So I just favorite games ever. Um, so I, I am always interested in, in uh, a new Martin Wallace title just to kind of see what he's up to. Anno 1800 seems like a sort of a city building uh, with a tile placement elements maybe it's got you've got ships visiting harbor towns and some sort of resource management card play i haven't i intentionally have not read too deep into what all the mechanics are and and everything just and reviews just because i want to experience the game for myself and kind of go cold at it and, and see how i react to it um but it 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 seems like a perfectly dry economic game that uh that piques my interest I don't know if you've looked at this game even. 
No, I never even played the video game that it's supposedly based on, maybe or maybe not. I don't know. Oh, it is based on, it even says in the description that it's yes. based on the popular PC game from Ubisoft. Uh, it actually looks some kind of like a tableau building game where you build a city in front of you and you run it probably based on adjacency of buildings and you're trying to like produce goods or something, which actually sounds kind of cool. Uh, what I was going to say about Martin Wallace is like, I'm not a super huge fan of Martin Wallace. Yeah, he's done brass, but he's also done like Wildlands, yeah. which I don't <laughs> think was, and Australia, which I don't think were particularly compelling efforts, I guess I should say. But those weren't economic um, games. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Uh, he's done also MOA, which actually I did have an interest in, but uh, I don't think it's a particularly amazing game. So I think uh, he's kind of like Reiner Nietzsche. I think he has a, a few games that are like really good and really cool, and some games that are still like decent. I don't know if he's created like a terrible game or anything. He designed but, London, right? Uh, yeah, London was actually a good one. I like that one. Uh, I'm just looking at the list of games that he's done. I think, yeah, he's been kind of up and down. Um, this one, yeah, looks promising, but uh, we'll see. Uh, what's not so promising for me is the playtime of 120 minutes, which, if you know playtime on BGG, the realistic playing time is probably actually going to be three hours for the first game. Um, I think these type of games usually get down to their listed BGG time when everyone is very experienced and knows exactly what they're doing. So I think uh, maybe... Uh, it's going to be a long game but if it's good actually it's not a problem that it's a long game it's just kind of is it is it good and hopefully it is so yeah i'm always interested in martin wallace he's a designer that i am interested in what he's doing kind of like reiner knizia for some yeah, reason exactly i'm always interested in his games but that doesn't necessarily mean that i like all of his games because as you said he's designed a lot and that when you design that quantity of games you're bound to have some that are not quite as good as the others yeah, I think his ideas are really cool, at least. Like, uh, Moa may be rated slowly or something, but I watched a playthrough of it, and I think the ideas were really cool. Um, I like the idea of Australia, like some things about the game particularly. Like I say, uh, ideas that he has are are good and i think he tries to like innovate and just do unusual mechanics for things wildlands was also kind of unusual maybe not in a good way for me but uh yeah generally kind of cool cool kind of feeling different ideas which i really like in in game board games in general that's why i look at him uh when you play a martin wallace game you're probably not going to be like oh that was like something else unless it's i guess 18xx which i think he's done some of those as well earlier on yeah but anyway yeah looking forward to to trying that one out um the other game that's on my horizon this week is florence this is the third and i believe final um game in the this uh European city trilogy from uh, mine from Braincrack Games. The first one was Ragusa. Second one was um, uh, Venice, and they're wrapping up the trilogy trilogy with Florence, which is designed by uh, Dean Morris. Uh, basically, and each of these three games are similar in art and uh, publisher only because they're all really different. Florence is, is described. Um, on its Kickstarter page as an opulent area control game for one to five players. And opulent meaning 
ostentatiously rich and luxurious or lavish. The funny thing about this game, which I think is interesting, is that it's an area control game, but the setting is it's a knight in Florence and uh, you're trying to basically gain favor with and impress uh, noble people and in particular the Medici family. And so there are carriages that go around the city and activate different spots of area control based on how much they're moving. And so you try to have um, your followers or um, noblemen or whatever in place and controlling these areas. There's like a lineup. So like when the Medici people arrive, you're in line to meet them. And if you're towards the front of the line, you get more of the benefit. Um, and there's different colors of these Medici carriages, and depending on which color of carriage is passing your spot, it uh, gives you different types of benefits. So it's an interesting sort of dynamic area control where you may be controlling an area, but you may not all you, you're not always going to get the same benefit because you control that area. Um, and then there's uh, there's these uh, bragging mechanic where you basically just go and I think it's sort of a not necessarily recipe fulfillment, but game state fulfillment type thing where you go and brag about something that represents your your current game state. And because of what you have at that time, you get certain number of points or something like that. Um, anyway, it's, it seems like an interesting twist on an area control game with, with tried and true Euro mechanics that I'm interested to, to try out. The action system is basically you're spending time um, because it's a night of a party and so time is your most valuable asset when you're trying to impress people and where you choose to spend your time it really matters so your re your main resource i think is time and you get a certain number of a certain amount of time points every every turn or round or something like that but uh, you know this this one seems interesting i actually haven't yet been able to play ragusa or venice but i've got them high on my list and they're coming up to play um so i think uh, they all sound really cool and we'll we'll see if i end up liking all of them yeah when you were talking about florence actually i was getting mixed w up with venice for some reason all of these games are kind of starting to merge together uh, kind of an interesting choice they went with the designer. I think it's his second game. His first game is Pacific Rails Inc., which actually I was really kind of interested in. It was on Kickstarter. Uh, I think that's a really cool idea. I don't know. The reviews are a little bit mixed. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll see what it is like. I, the theme sounds interesting to me, actually, and the game looks promising, but we'll, we will see. We'll see. I was uh, really scared about Venice. I'm actually kind of really curious how our play will go because I read some really weird reviews about it that some people like really hate it for some reason. Uh, some people for like silly reasons, maybe like component reasons, but some people like say the game itself breaks down in a weird way. So I'm kind of looking forward to how that's going to go. I was looking at it and uh, with the idea of playing it as two player, but I think it's not good with two. Uh, I don't think that it's the type of game for two players. <laughs> yeah. Because Venice, Venice has a lot to do. Yeah, it's area majorities, and um, uh, there are interactions with players bumping into each other while sailing your boats around oh, the city. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. if there's not very many people playing, then you just kind of have you're playing less of the game, I think. And yeah. so it just 
is not that makes great. total sense. They have dummies, I think, in the variant, but it's probably not the same at all. Yeah, a dummy player never is really the same as as a full blown human player. Yep. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that's Florence. I think um, I think I'll probably play this whole trilogy in pretty rapid succession in the next little bit. See how I feel about all of them. Yeah, I like Ragusa actually, but it's I recognize that it's actually not super amazing. It's a little bit on the lighter side, so I think like as a new publisher, they're kind of taking some chances on newer designers and stranger designs. So yeah, it's well, fine. with Ragusa, uh, Fabio Lopiano has gone on to be a pretty big name, or yeah. as far as like up and coming designers, he's, he's I guess. had some pretty oh. good. Yeah, Morv was really good. I think, like I say, he's getting better. <laughs> yeah, and he's got another title. He's got another title coming out with Borden Dyson and this year. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He's getting yeah, more recognition. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, it. Like I say, not the most amazing game, but I think Morv was uh, probably more representative of actually him being designing a good game than Ragusa. You'll see. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's it for games on my horizon. Did you have anything else you yeah, wanted to bring up? No, that's it. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Cards and Cubes, and we'll look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. Cards and Cubes has been a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other great podcasts on the Pod Cauldron Network, including Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, Rabble, 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 a comedic look at current events, and Steady Diet of Music, a bi-weekly fix of opinions by musicians. You can get a hold of Cards and Cubes via email, cardsandcubespodcast at gmail.com, or visit our website, www.cardsandcubes.com. We'd like to thank Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. Find more of Kirsten's art on Instagram at catcoffee, that's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E. We'd also like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme and thank all of you for listening and we will return in a couple of weeks.